good morning everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just on, right on, almost 7.30 and of course that means it's time for the 3CR Gardening Show. Oh, we've got a very full studio this morning. First up, a very good morning to Mr Stephen Ryan from Dixonia Rare Plants. Morning Stephen. Good morning Pam and good morning everybody out there. And it's going to be a nice day. It is, 21, ha- sunny. Yes, lovely, and we've had a little rain, so I'm feeling Thank good. goodness. Yes, uh, and everything's looking sort of fresh again suddenly. It is. It's amazing, just a little bit of autumn rain takes all the pressure off. Yes, uh, so definitely. I've had a quite relaxed time the last day or so, although I must admit it needn't have been quite so cold straight after the quite so hot. <laughs> I found I found that uh, slightly stressful on the body. Uh, right. You know, going to work with cold fingertips and things suddenly, and yeah, well, hand weeding get... suddenly became a chore and all that stuff. But uh, it's good to have the cooler weather setting in, and I'm sure we'll still get a few nice days before it's all over. In fact, I hope we do because there's a lot of events coming up over the next. There few, are. Few there weeks. are. The events haven't stopped. Yes, autumnal events. They come out of the garden everywhere. So uh, well. Between you and me, I think we've got quite a few to talk about this morning. Absolutely. Mm. We also have to say good morning to Penny Woodward. Hi, Penny. Good morning, Pam, and good morning, listeners. It's and to be um, here. you've been busy in at Mifkus all I have. week. I've been, I've been uh, on the Organic Gardener magazine stand um, every day, meeting lots and lots of readers, and it's really nice to get you know when you work when you work on your own and and you know send your work out there. It's nice to get feedback from people who've enjoyed an article or found something interesting or love that just love the magazine. And one of the really funny things that I've discovered with this, with the new edition of the magazine, because it got completely redone three issues ago, people are coming up and opening the magazine and stroking it. <laughs> it's really tactile. Really? It's, oh. And then a couple of people even picked it up and sniffed it. Because oh. just this sort of... They're really enjoying the, the way... The sensual gardening it's, it's magazine. Exactly. <laughs> well, I'm glad you didn't it's cover it in velvet. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been, yeah, look, life's full of surprises. Good it? heavens, that's amazing. It's fun. <laughs> we also have to say a very good morning to James Beatty, who, of course, is a researcher with uh, Gardening Australia, ABC. Good morning, Pam. It's, uh, we, we're sharing a mic this morning for people that are listening at home if it sounds quite strange whenever Pam and I are talking to each other, having to swap yeah. places and swing the mic around. <laughs> but I, I agree with Stephen, it's great to see a bit of autumnal rain, um, uh, you know, picking, picking all the growth up in the garden and I've got, I've got marines popping up everywhere and it's definitely, definitely autumn. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a beautiful time of year. I really, really love it. Excellent. And the other person we haven't said good morning to is A.B. Bishop. Morning, A.B. Oh, good morning, yes, and I'm very excited to announce that we had 35 mil. Really? Oh, right. You've got a lot more than we did. Yeah, 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 it just kept on coming and kept on coming, so very exciting. And um, what was even better was the week before I ran round for a few hours feeding everything with um, dynamic lifter and... Um, uh, worm wee and all sorts of exciting things, a bit of a bit of um, seaweed solution, and so hopefully now everything will be absolutely popping out of itself. So perfect yeah, very timing. Happy. Yeah, yes. it was yep. perfect timing. Yes, very well, you can take credit for that. I, I can, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice when you actually get it right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so garden. true, isn't yes. it? Because yeah. I, I think to myself, oh, you know, the plants out there, they they really do it tough. I don't water them that often, mm. and um, they certainly don't get fed very often. And every now and then. And then I think, oh, yes, every month from, from now on, every month just before it's the right moon, I'm going to be out there 
feeding everything and um, seaweeding everything, and then of course another month goes by and it doesn't uh, happen. So yeah, no, I, yeah. was, I was very pleased with myself. After the mild February that we had, I, I took a punt and sowed some spinach a bit early because I thought, oh, we're not going to get any hot weather, and then we got that couple of weeks of you know pushing 40 degrees or you know mid 30s. So I spent a good two weeks nursing this spinach like I... Would have been cheaper at the supermarket. Oh, yeah, no, I, haven't, I, haven't, I haven't nursed a crop like that ever. But I was determined it's not going to bolt to seed. Yeah. No, no. And it's looking, it's looking great now. So what did you do? Lots of water? Lots of water and, yep. and um, doubled over shade cloth when it was, when it was going to get above 30 degrees. So, yeah, yeah. It yep. was probably about five or six days in a run of two weeks that I was out there in the morning having to, you know, mollycoddle it. But, yeah, um, well, there you go. Hopefully it pays off, yes. Yes, well, your little baby spinach is cooing away now. Yes. <laughs> you want to the reap the benefits like Popeye after yes, that. <laughs> yes. yes, I can see his muscles bouncing off his arms as we speak. Not likely. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we should get to, because there's so many events coming up, we should get to some of our mm. community announcements, and I know you've got a couple there too, oh, yes. Steve. Do you, want to, do you want to start? Well, I'll start actually and just mention the Teslas thing, because that'll yes. give people as much time as possible. Um, Teslas have got their plant fair coming up uh, first weekend in April. So it's the second and third, I think. And if anybody's out there who's not too far away from the studio, we've got some double passes inside the studio. So you'd be more than welcome to pop along this morning whilst we're still on air and pick up one. Um, if not, I'll have them at the nursery so you can come and get a uh, pass from my nursery up at Dixonia Rare Plants at Mount Macedon. Uh, the Tesla Rare Plant Fair is always great fun. They have a whole range of different speakers up there. There's food, there's um, all sorts of lectures go on in the marquee up there. Uh, uh, this, this year I'm going to talk about weird and wonderful plants So I'm going to talk about some slightly strange and perhaps not pretty plants um, uh, When it's my turn And we're going to have a few new speakers up there this year um, Jane from um, uh, Brian Tonkin uh, is going to do her very first inaugural public speak um, So she's a bit nervous And I asked her when I was down at uh, Mifkus on Wednesday Whether she wanted me to be her little helper or a heckler <laughs> But we'll see um, So it should be good fun So if anybody wants to go The passes are worth $36 uh, So um, it's quite good value if you want to shoot out to Tesla's And as I said, they're here at the studio As long as you come in whilst we're still on air So through till 9.15 uh, Otherwise they'll be going back to my nursery And uh, I'll hand them out there to customers who come in. And I will emphasise, Stephen, that it, it is a, a double pass. You mm. present it at the gate and you will receive that free double pass and it... Um, it allows you in for the whole weekend. So that's right, you Saturday could and Sunday. You could <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. You can uh, have a real dose of gardening. Well, you can, in fact. So they're here at the studio for any listener who wants to come in and grab them this morning. Um, a little closer to me, though, uh, as far as physically, uh, I've got two things up around the Macedon Ranges I want to mention. One we've mentioned before, and I'm hoping people are booking for this, and it's the Opera in Our Garden at Tugurium at Mount Macedon, uh, 8 Centenary Avenue, Macedon. Uh, it's for the Gertrude Opera, which is a wonderful organisation that helps young opera singers uh, polish themselves ready to go out and have a career. So it's a great fundraiser. I have enormous respect for these young people that have decided to go into opera. How on earth you can, you know, there's so little space for, you know, it doesn't matter how good you are, uh, so little space for opera singers that, you know, any help you can give them, uh, the better. And what could be nicer than having opera in a garden with a glass of wine and some canopies? I'm going to do asparagus rolls again this year for anybody who's interested. Um, obviously, white bread and canned asparagus, because it's the only way to make an asparagus roll. <laughs> um, and it's going to be great fun. Now, if people want to book, they have to book through Gertrude Opera. 
So going to the Gertrude Opera site, uh, which is in fact the w's.gertrudeopera1word.com.au, uh, or you could inquire on 94299006. I think that's business hours, I'm not sure. Um, and it costs $55, and that includes the wine canopies. Craig will have his art up in the garage, so you'll be able to see some botanic art as well. And hopefully the garden will be looking half reasonable after this rain. So that's on that day, Sunday the 10th of April, which isn't far off now. It uh, isn't. And just a week later... Um, Paul Bangay has got his garden stone fields open uh, it's, it's being opened for the Stephanie Alexander Foundation uh, and that's up at Denver near Kyneton uh, that's on the two days um, and the tickets are $30 each or if you pre-purchase tickets at 25 through the kitchengardenfoundation.org.au forward slash stone fields um, but even more interesting well not more interesting but an added interest is the fact that St Ambrose uh, Farm, which was Paul Bangay's garden in Woodend, um, is also opening on the same weekend. So you can see one of his older gardens and his brand new garden and see how his styles are changing and how the gardens differ and what have you. And the owner of, um, of St Ambrose is opening for the local CFA in Woodend. Um, and Caroline's got, um, she's going to have food there and, and Craig's going to put on an art show there. So there'll be botanic art for people to see in the apartment there. Um, and that's $20 uh, payable at the gate. Um, so that's uh, St Ambrose Farm in Wood Street, uh, Wood End. You can't miss it because Wood Street's a tiny little dead-end street and it's sort of near the end. <laughs> so it's easy to find. And, you know, it's, it's a classical Paul Bangay with the wonderful hedges and water features and all that sort of stuff. So the two Paul Bangay gardens will be open on that weekend of the 16th and 17th of April. So plan a day out. Uh, you could even go via Dixonia Rare Plants uh, on the way home or on the way up. Who knows? Uh, but it should be a great weekend. Fantastic. Okay, well, I need to get to a few things that are actually happening today. Ooh. First up, the reminder that uh, Karen Sutherland's Productive Garden is open today. Fabulous. Uh, her address is 22 Lochinvar Street, Pasco Vale South. Now, that's spelt L-O-C-H-I-N-V-A-R. So that's Lochinvar Street, Pasco Vale South. Uh, there's parking in the adjoining street. And uh, that's open 10 through till 4.30. Entry for that is $8. Children under 18 are free. And it's a very inspiring urban food garden. I know, Penny, you and I have both been out there. Yeah. And uh, it's just chock-a-block full of edible plants. It really is. Mm. Front garden, the nature strip, the back garden. She can't mm. fit any more in if she no. tried. No, it's, it would be impossible. But it's also, it's not just about the edibility. I mean, she also... It's a pretty garden. Yeah, it's a yeah, nice it's place very to be. It's a strong ornamental yeah, garden. Yeah, it's, it? uh, it, you know, you, you don't have to envisage, you know, rubber tyres with potatoes growing in them and things like that. You know, it's, it, it's a beautifully landscaped garden. It's a really pretty setting and it can show you what, uh, what you can do with things that are also productive and edible. So yeah. it's well worth it. I and think one of the briefs she gave herself when she was designing it was that it should be, you know, it should hold together ornamentally really well. And, you know, the front garden, you wouldn't necessarily yes. know that th most of the foods there are edible 
and um, it's not until you get around, but they are, and the, but mm. it's not until you get around the back that you see the uh, the traditional. Mm. And food I love the way garden. she, you know, she extends the edibility to some fairly esoteric plants that we wouldn't necessarily mm. immediately think that would be a plant we'd have in our own garden. But uh, as she said to me, it's sort of an experiment too to try out as many different plants that have some edibility as possible. So she likes to try and plant the weird, wonderful, wacky sort of uh, offbeat type plants as well. So you know, the front garden's got a carob tree and all sorts mm. of things. That you don't necessarily think of as highly productive or a, a garden tree necessarily, but it's a very handsome tree and it has edibility. And so, yeah, I think it's it's fantastic fun. So, and can it, I can I just say that um, at the garden show, she designed the garden beds that we've got on the organic garden stand, and she's used in one of the beds. It's all native edible mm-hmm. plants, and this is her current passion and um, she's will have quite a few of these for sale and on display at um, at the actual garden mm. at her open garden so things like um, salt bush yeah there's some new salt bushes there where they're breeding broadleafed forms of them and they're using that as a salt substitute so yep. you actually dry the leaves and crumble them up mm. and um, and some a, a couple of different um, prostranthrates which yep. they're actually selling as native thyme because the chefs reckon the flavour is more akin to thyme than it is to, to mint. To yes. mint. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, quite a few plants like that. So that if you're interested in that side of it, it's mm-hmm. really, she'll have all of those there Fantastic. as well. I should also add that uh, she'll be uh, giving talks on native herbs, bush foods and perennial vegetables. And these talks will be held at 11am, 1pm and 3 o'clock. Uh, and she'll also be taking uh, regular guided tours of the garden. So um should be a very, very excellent. If you've never been out to her garden, I really do recommend mm, it. Great. Now, the other thing that's on today, um, Cottage by the Sea. Uh, now, this is uh, an organisation that's been giving holidays to children in need for over 125 years, and they receive no government funding at all. Now, uh, the Bellarine branch is having an open garden day today. There's five gardens in total. They're all down uh, around uh, Drysdale and Bellarine. They're opening from 10am through to 4.30 today. Now, uh, tickets are at the gate for any of the gardens, and it's $20 admission for all five gardens, which is fantastic. That's good value. That's Mm. really good value. Otherwise, $5 per garden if you've only got time to see one or two. But um, uh, as I say, there'll be tickets just at the the gate. There'll be Devonshire Tea and a garden stall at Kilmurray. So um, I might give you the address of Kilmurray because that might be a good starting point. Kilmurray is at 405 Scotchman's Road in Bellarine. And uh, from there, of course, they'll be able to give you the address of all the other ones. Otherwise, you can try going just to um, uh, their website, which is www.cottagebythesea.com.au, and uh, you should be able to get all the addresses from the website. Otherwise, if you'd like some information, there's a phone number here, 0419102. That's 0419 102 384. Now, also on today is the Friends Sale, the actual, the Growing Friends group have got their Autumn Plant Sale of Australian Plants, and this is down at the Royal Botanic Gardens in Cranbourne. 
uh, open 10 o'clock, running through till 4 o'clock, and there'll be a wide range of Australian plants there in tubes, and larger pots will also be for sale. Uh, prices start from $3, and, of course, all monies go to support the gardens there down at Cranbourne. Pam, Pam, is the textile exhibition still on down there as well, do you know? Uh, today is... No, it's finished. Oh, it it finished, finished last Sunday. Oh, well, that's yes. right. I was just thinking it might be a great opportunity yep. to do both, but obviously yep. not. No. no, no, it finished last Sunday, oh. which um, and it was a huge success oh, too. Fabulous. I was talking to Gwen about it, yep. Uh, today is the last day of a nine-day plant nine-day plant sale that they've been having up at Karanga Native Nursery. So uh, if you've been meaning to get along there to pick up some uh, Australian native plants, today is the last day of this huge plant sale. So uh, so you can pop along to there. Um, and uh, the address of Karanga Native Nursery is 118 York Road in Mount Evelyn. Now... Coming up also, I was mentioning, uh, of course, Karen Sutherland. She's also giving a talk coming up in two days' time for Friends of Burnley Gardens. Um, She's going to be uh, also bringing in uh, some examples that you can touch and taste, and I'm sure you could smell as well. Um, But she'll be talking about a a range of easily grown bush foods, and uh, the uh, details for that talk... Uh, as I said, it's on Tuesday. Uh, it'll be held in room MB10, MB standing for main building. You follow the signs there. It's out at Burnley Campus, which is at 500 Yarra Boulevard in Richmond. Uh, time is 7 o'clock for drinks and nibbles, 7.30 for the talk. Uh, cost, uh, if you're a member of the, uh, the Friends group, then it's $5. If you're a non-member, it's $15 and bookings are essential. The number to book is 9035-6861 or you can email a.smith at unimelb.edu.au and there's plenty of uh, parking there in the boulevard. Now, also, the Friends of Burnley Gardens on the 23rd, that's the next day, next Wednesday, are having a plant sale themselves, one till three only, so just for two hours there on the Wednesday afternoon. Uh, Again, a range of native, exotic and produce plants, and the location will be outside the Student Union building there. Payment will be by cash only for that sale, so that's next Wednesday. Now, our friends at uh, Open Gardens Victoria, uh, next weekend they've got uh, a big opening on out at Lubra Bend. Now, this is out in Yarra Glen. It's at 135 Simpson Lane in Yarra Glen. Uh, Melway's reference there is 275G2. Uh, both days open from 10 till 430 Again, entry price is $10. Children under 18 are free. Students with a student card, $5. And uh, if, um, if people are interested, uh, the first person who likes to ring in, they've again given, given us one free double pass to the first listener that rings in on 94190155. That's 94190155. And you can score a free double pass to Lubra Bend either for next Saturday or for next Sunday, whichever you'd prefer to go to. And that double pass will be posted out to you. 
Uh, I think they're the main ones that I have for the moment. Um, well, if everybody gets around to doing all that, they're going to be, be very busy. <laughs> I know, anyone would think it was spring. Yeah, yes, exactly. It's, it's, uh, it's madness. It hasn't it? stopped. Yeah. But it's good fun. <laughs> Absolutely. So it's high time we invited our listeners to uh, join us. If you have a gardening question this morning, do give us a call. The number is 94190155. That's 94190155. We have Stephen Ryan, Penny Woodward, James Beatty, and A.B. Bishop in the studio. So lots of people to give plenty of advice or to have a chat to. That number again, 94190155. A.B., I think we have uh, a caller there online at the moment. We do. It's uh, Brian. Good morning, Brian. Oh, good morning, folks. Um, I've just got a question. I've had uh, belladonna lilies flowered for the first time. And they've formed little seed pods. Yeah. Uh, they've died off. They've got, and I was just wondering uh, what to do with the, with the seeds. <laughs> Sow them if you wish. Um, <laughs> but it'll take time, I would imagine. Uh, yes. Sow them if you dare, I think. Yeah, was yeah well, it could be that, A.B. Um, I mean, they grow quite easily. Sow them fresh. Don't dry them or anything because anything in that family uh, loses viability fairly quickly. So oh, right. um, as soon as they're full-sized and about to drop, sow them straight away, but it could be some years before you That's see right. your first flowers, <laughs> right. and so I generally recommend dividing of clumps is generally the quickest and easiest way to get more belladonnas, uh, but you know, having said that, it's great fun, and you know, just don't, you know, don't expect to see them in bloom for a fair while, okay, uh, and there's nothing special cool. about it other than sowing them straight away. Yeah, okay, thanks very much indeed, bye-bye. Bye. Yes, it's like sort of sowing peony seeds, you know, so two years for germinating, another six for flowering, and uh, and then you're not sure whether you're going to have anything worthwhile at the end of it sometimes. <laughs> Although the belladonnas, I think you'd find, will be pretty standard. They'll probably come to be much the same as the parents once they, in fact, mm. flower, particularly if you haven't got sort of white ones and deep pink ones and shell pink ones all in the one bed where there might be some cross-pollination. Yes. Uh, but they're yes. they're, they're a great, hardy. Mm. They're a great bold, though. Oh, I love them. I, I, they're I another the one of those autumnal, autumnal yeah. sort of heralds. Yeah. You know, you see the belladonnas erupting out of the ground and you know autumn's here mm. and... And they're such big, bold, and s- lovely, smelly things. I think they're great. We have, tough, yeah, tough we have some on our driveway, and they've yeah. um, been um, buried with um, rubble and granitic <laughs> sand, and, and uh, which has up. been, yeah, every year they, there yeah, yeah. they are. Hello, yeah. we're yeah. here. I can't kill them. I saw some erupting out of a batch of blackberries on a vacant block down my street yesterday. I was sort of walking <laughs> the dogs along, and, and there's these, all this great patch of blackberries that somebody must do something about one day. Uh, and here's these belladonnas erupting out of the middle of it all. I mean. They're plants with an enormous uh, capacity to survive. Uh, So you've got to sort of have a soft spot for them, really. Mm. And they've never proven to be particularly weedy or anything either, considering how tough they are. No, you'll see them sometimes in a paddock where there was a house, but you don't generally see them out in the bush, per se. No, that's right. Um, So although they've been in Australia for an awfully long time, they've shown no real sort of propensity to become weedy so it's probably because they take so long to <laughs> yes it's probably another century away before they'll actually show their weediness i don't know but uh i just i just have a soft spot for them yeah. i just think they're a wonderful group of plants how long do they take to flower oh, if, from i mean if you're sowing them from seed, from seed yeah. i wouldn't expect flowers in under about five or six years really uh maybe longer yep. um and uh, even then you'd need to be sort of feeding them up to fatten up the bulbs and so forth and so you'd have to actually treat them quite kind to push them into flower comparatively quickly 
and and by that I mean probably four or five years. Yeah. You know, so uh, it's a long term process. Um, having said that, there'll always be somebody out there who'll ring in and say, "Oh, but I got them to flower in three. <laughs> You're almost bank on it. Uh, but it is a long term process. But it's it's fun to do. I mean, and a lot of those sort of bulbousy sort of plants do take quite a long time to flower from seed. Uh, but it can be quite a gratifying way of building up stock. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, look, gardening's a journey, not a destination. It's all 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 the fun's in the journey. And when you do flower them, even if they're exactly the same as the previous lot, it's sort of exciting. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's one of those projects to take on, I reckon. Absolutely. There's a uh, lady around the corner from me who's got um, the hybrid between Belladonna lily and the Josephine lily oh, um, yes. in her front garden. Yes. And every, every year I always go and try and stalk her and try and <laughs> catch her in the front yard so I can talk to her about this plant. I've never seen her. I think um, I'd go knock on the door if I was you, James. I'd be brave. You know? But it's just, it's just beautiful. And for those who don't want to wait 20 years for the Brunsvigia Josephine yeah. to flower, you know, this, this has a very similar flower. Um, the inflorescence is a bit more open than your usual belladonna, um, uh, you know, a la the Josephine lily. And the colour is kind of halfway between that really intense pink that you get with the belladonna lily and that red that you have with the, mm. with the Josephine lily. Yeah. But it's just, just gorgeous. Yeah. Really, yeah, really there's lovely. actually quite a few intergenetic hybrids in yeah. that group. You know, there's, yeah. I think there's a belladonna nerine hybrid and there's, you know, right? oh yeah, there's all sorts of weird combinations mm. that have cropped up, which of course at the end of the day will probably uh, get botanists scratching their heads and they'll say, oh, they're all one genus. And they'll <laughs> lump them all in together uh, or something similar. Because uh, that's what tends to happen once you create create into genetic hybrids, they suddenly realise that the, the two genera are probably closer mm. than they thought. Mm. Uh, and, of course, now that we're doing genes and chromosomes and all that sort of stuff, I mean, they're throwing everything up in the air and it's all landing in a different place, but, you know, that's yeah. part of the fun of it. It's yep. quite exciting, really, isn't it? It is, as long as you don't get too annoyed because you spend most of your life learning the name of something. Absolutely. And then when they change it on you, um, you've got to then start relearning those names again. And then... As like as not, they'll go back again. So, you know, and I've seen that happen more than once. Uh, and it's a generational thing as well, I reckon, you know, the, the kilometres versus miles and oh, I still think and miles. pounds versus dollars and cents. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, you're going to get the younger kids coming through knowing the real names and us oldies will be like, no, back in now the Now, I remember day. it being Colleyanema, <laughs> not Diosma. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh, dear. All right. Um, just a quick reminder, um, we do have that one double pass to uh, an open garden for next weekend. It's uh, Lubra Bend is the name of the garden. Uh, it's out at Yarra Glen, but if someone would like to uh, get that double pass, it will be posted out to you. Um, we need you to give us a call now on 94190155. That's 94190155. Normal entering price is $10 for this garden, so that, uh, that is a free double pass, so it's worth $20, and uh, as I say, it will be posted out to you if someone would like that. All right. Um, Stephen, uh, while we're waiting for a few phone calls to come through, let's start with a couple of your plants. I bought in a tropical jungle. You did. You did. Totally I de- tropical. <laughs> I decided a tropical jungle was the perfect thing to have at Macedon. Um, I love bold foliages. I think things with bold foliages uh, create interest and drama in a garden, and I don't think we use them often enough. Um, so I bought in a few things, some of which are borderline, if not almost impossible to grow at Macedon, but I still try. 
Um, uh, and some are perfectly tough and hardy. So there's plenty of tropical-looking plants that aren't strictly tropical that can give you that look even in a cold climate like Macedon. But the one plant that I've got that I don't think I'm going to keep long-term uh, but is something that would grow very well for Melbourne gardeners because it's not, um, it's not frost-hardy. So it will cope in Melbourne quite well but won't cope at Macedon. I might have to use it as an indoor plant during the winter, uh, is the bird lime tree, um, Pisonia brunoniana variegata which comes from the Three Kings Islands off the North Cape of New Zealand. So it's about, I looked on the map yesterday, it's sort of on about a level with Sydney um, uh, on the latitude thingy. And so it only comes off this tiny little group of islands and the green leaf form has these big dark green glossy leaves. This is the variegated form of it, which has wonderful variegated foliage and the leaves can get up, well, probably twice as big as the plant I bought in because it's a baby. So they could be up to, in the old measurements, about a foot long, uh, the leaves. Uh, the variegated form grows to about three metres. Uh, it likes a little bit of shade, so it's a good understory plant. It's reasonably drought tolerant once its roots gets down. And it's called the bird lime tree because after the flowers finish, the flower head, when it goes to seed, becomes exceedingly sticky and reputedly small birds can get trapped in it. Um, so if you're at all worried about that, cut the old flower heads off. They're not worth looking at anyway. The flowers are nothing. Uh, so you can go through and just cut them off. But as a foliage plant and as a tub specimen, it is just beautiful. I mean, it's got this wonderful, bold, tropical look to it. Um, and, of course, it is a subtropical. So I did try it in the garden once some years ago and managed to kill it fairly quickly. First frost came in and knocked it out. Uh, I've got another one in a terracotta pot at home that I propagated this year. Um, and I've got a few more of them that I grew on that I'm hoping to sell before the frost come in. Um, but I just think it's a wonderful plant, and I don't quite understand why more Melbourne nurseries aren't offering it. I mean, it's a plant that would grow really well in dry shade in Melbourne gardens, and with this big, bold, variegated foliage, it would be a great feature plant. And it's, uh, a, it's a really nice variegation. Too. It is. It's, it's a very I'm, handsome I'm variegation. A variegation. Yeah. Person. No. Yeah, it, so it almost looks really like nice an, a, um, an artist has yeah, got to and just splotched on, yeah. different, yeah. different colours. the green is in different shades. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's a very pretty leaf. And, and in this shade, you can imagine it stands mm. out beautifully. And mm. That was propagated off Neil Williams's plant when okay. he was in Glen Waverley. I got cuttings from it this year because Neil sold the place and it's being bulldozed and... A McMansion's going up on it any minute, may already have started, and the garden was just going to let go. So, uh, unfortunately, the Personia was going to get bulldozed. So I propagated a batch of them thinking, well, nobody's growing it, uh, so I need to keep it going. And I've given Neil one back for his new garden, so he's going to have the stock plant if I can't manage to keep it alive at Mount Macedon. Uh, and I've potted one up for me that I will, in fact, take indoors for the winter and see if I can't. Because some things will adjust a little bit once you get them big mm. enough. Mm. Um, so... I think it's worthwhile having a crack at. And it's an interesting plant coming from a very weird sort of esoteric little place off, off the north of New Zealand. Uh, and, yeah, uh, even in New Zealand native plant books, it doesn't often show up. Mm-hmm. So, so, so that, that makes three plants that are good for dry shade. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, so, yeah, Pisonia, P-I-S-O-N-I-A. And I think it used to be something like Hemeliodendron or something. It's had a name change in recent years. And funnily enough, another one of my examples is also a New Zealander. And this is a thing that goes under the wonderful name of Brachyglottis. 
Brachyglottis repanda, and in this form, purpurea, which has a sort of a purple-surfaced leaf, but it has a silvery-white mm. reverse. Mm. And it's an evergreen shrub or an ever-bronze shrub, up to about three to four metres. Uh, it can get quite leggy, so it's inclined to need a little bit of nipping and tucking to keep it reasonably bushy. Again, it's a semi-shade-loving plant. Uh, when it gets tall enough to look up under the leaves, it looks fabulous with these silvery-white reverses, mm. so in the shade... As a tall enough plant, you get the value of the undersurface of the leaves. But the stem is also silvery yeah, white. Yeah, the stem is also which silvery is very white. Striking. And it's a beautiful thing. It gets heads of tiny little scruffy daisies of no particular merit other than they have quite a nice scent. Um, so it's a foliage plant, basically. And it revels under the common name of Bushman's toilet paper. <laughs> It does not look like it would make good toilet paper. It's nearly as soft as sorbent, I have to tell you. Um, uh, As long as you get the leaf the right way up. Yeah, yes, you get the leaf the right way up. Um, (laughs) And I believe the Maori used to use it sort of like Hansel and Gretel dropping crumbs. They'd lay the leaves upside down on a path to say they'd been there. Mm. So if someone was trying to keep in touch with them, uh, they just lay the leaves upside down. They used to use a silver fern in the same way because okay. it, was, it would stand out in the shade when its leaves were lying on the ground. It would be very easy to track them. Uh, it was also used in New Zealand as a postcard because it will accept ink. So you can actually write on the back of the leaf, and I believe they have been mailed more than once. Uh, so it's a really interesting plant. It's quick-growing if it's got adequate moisture. It will tolerate a little bit of dryness periodically, but it doesn't like really heavy dryness for long periods of time. Again, it can make quite a good tub specimen. Uh, I've grown them up quite large in a comparatively small tub uh, where they must have been as root-bound as Billy O, but still looked quite um, stunning with their big leaves. Um, and you can get a green leaf form as well, which is a slightly grey-green uh, with the silvery reverse. And in New Zealand, they have a variegated one, but I've never seen it out here, so I don't think it's ever made its way into Australia. So I keep looking at mine, hoping it's going to throw a variegation one day, particularly on the purple form. I think that could be fun. Uh, so Bushman's toilet paper, Brachyglottis repanda purpurea. And I think it's a, a wonderful plant. This one's been growing in the shade house, so it's actually a little less purple than it would be if it had a little more sun on it. Uh, so a bit of the morning sun will bring up the purple in the foliage better. So, sorry, Steve, did you say sun or shade? Well, it likes to be out of the hot sun of the hot afternoon. It's quite happy in the morning sun or the very late afternoon sun, but just that really hot, Mm. Midday sun could burn it and make it flag like a hydrangea. Or maybe even under a deciduous tree. Yeah, something like that would work quite well. Uh, I've got both forms growing in the garden up at the nursery in a spot where they don't get a lot of direct sunlight and they're doing quite well. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just think it's a great plant. And, uh, and it really is a remarkable-looking leaf. So, again, and that's something that isn't particularly frost tender, so I can grow that perfectly well out in the open ground, unlike the Pisunia, uh, because this particular plant comes from the North Island, but it goes fairly far mm. south on the North Island, and they get some cold weather there. Uh, so um, the Brachyglottis is an easy plant, uh, even in comparatively cold areas. So that's a, a second one. Yep. Uh, have we got time for another one? Yes, we yeah. have. People aren't ringing in. What are they doing? Sleeping in? Yes, yes. that's the first cool, you know, first cool weather we've had for ages. Oh yeah, well they're probably snuggled, yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) and not thinking about. I would say so. Yeah. Yeah. Now another plant that I have a great passion for are the fatsias. I can remember back in the 1960s and 70s, you'd see a green leaf fatsia in an anodized, bright-coloured pot sitting in people's 
mm. lounge rooms. So I was going to say, it, I'm used to it as being an indoor plant. Yeah, and it is used as an indoor plant and still can be used as an indoor plant, but it makes a fantastic outdoor garden plant. This is the variegated form of it that actually gets, mm. it looks like the ends of the leaves have almost been dipped in white paint. Uh, and again, in the shade, it brings up a bit of light and colour. And the variegated form is rarely propagated because the green leaf form you can raise from seed. This one you've got to grow from cuttings. And if you look at my plant I bought in, you actually see the cutting I struck it from still in the pot there. Uh, you have to do it from big hard bits because there's no sort of soft tip cuttings much to yeah. speak of. So you take these great big chunks and you stick them into, well, I stick them in my fogger and they eventually take root. Uh, but it's a slow process. Um, the Fatsias have got to be one of the most drought tolerant, shade tolerant shrubs I know. They'll grow in complete shade. Uh, they will grow where they get virtually no watering whatsoever uh, once they're established uh, and they get these great big maple shaped leaves on them which give a wonderful tropical sort of look to a garden uh, they do get big heads of little white balls of flowers a bit like an ivy to which they're related um, in fact there's a hybrid between fatsia and, and hetera actually so there's a fats hetera lurking out there um, which in its own right is a good plant and I might bring it in one day um, and if anybody's got the variegated form of the fats hetera I'd be interested because I've been looking for it for ages and I know it's in the country because I can remember seeing it as a kid. Um, but the Fatsias are great plants. They do make good indoor plants. They grow well in a pot. They'll go down to very low light levels and they give these wonderful big glossy shiny maple shaped leaves uh, on quite tall stems. If they get too tall and leggy you can cut them back and away they'll come again. And in fact my variegated one in the garden at home at the side of it at the moment has thrown a branch that's completely white. And whilst it's still attached to the parent plant, it's still growing. But, of course, if I tried to propagate from it, it's got no chlorophyll, mm. so it would die. But it's this branch with these huge big leaves that are pure white, and it looks fantastic. So I hope it lives for quite a long time before it eventually gives up the ghost. Uh, or it might throw back to a different form of irrigation, which I always keep my eye out for. Because there is a form out there that I know has managed to come into the country, but I haven't been able to get a plant of it, called Fatsia japonica spider's web that has white webbing all through the leaves, which is really quite remarkable. Um, and I'm on the hunt for that. Um, uh, it will fall into my web eventually. Uh, with <laughs> well, any that, luck. that's interesting. I mean, it's kind of all leaf, really, isn't it? It is. Not, not really much stem or... Well, so far there's not, there. but it's it will trunk up in time and the yeah. leaves tend to migrate up the stems like a lot of these things do. Yeah. Uh, and I just think it's the most fabulous plant. And why people aren't using fatsias more, I don't know, mm. in both the green and the variegated form. I can sort of understand the variegated one because you just don't see it round. It's harder to propagate. But the green one's very easy to raise from seed. Uh, I get the occasional seedling that pops up in the garden, generally in, a, in between the steps or something inappropriate. But, you know, they do come up from seed in the garden a little bit. Uh, and uh, I don't bother growing the green one because I'm sure you can buy it in the, in the barns. But uh, the variegated one, I think, is actually quite remarkable. So that's uh, another hardy tropical-looking plant. And, I mean, I think the thing with tropical plants is if, if you live in the tropics, a lot of people up there are absolutely bored to tears with all this tropical foliage. Oh, God, yes. They, they, they want they a Japanese want, maple. They want flowers <laughs> and they want that autumnal foliage. Yeah. But, of course, down here, um, all, all of these fantastic plants that we can actually create those um, tropical field gardens. And so we have it over Queenslanders for that very reason. We have plants that can simulate the tropics. They don't have a lot of plants that can simulate autumn. Yes. Uh, so we're actually quite lucky because we can go either way uh, at a whim basically um, so yeah I think we're the lucky ones down here and that's why so many people are moving to Victoria I'm sure of it uh, now finally a very old fashioned 
tropical looking plant that you don't see grown in gardens much anymore. You see it in a few public parks still occasionally. Um, and it's commonly known as tree cineraria. Uh, it was for a long time grown as Senecio petasites. Um, it has had a name change at some stage or another and it's now called Roldana petasites, R-O-L D-A-N-A and it grows like a tree daily. You get these big strong canes that come up and these lovely big felty soft green leaves. Almost tobacco-like. Leaves. Yes, it's got that sort of tobacco-y quality about it, although I wouldn't recommend smoking it. Don't recommend smoking tobacco either, but there you go. Uh, but these beautiful big soft leaves on these big tall canes that come up, and if it doesn't get frosted down, which it does in our garden quite regularly, in midwinter it will come out with a, ma- a sort of a panicle, big sort of uh, pointy panicle of tiny little brilliant yellow daisies with sort of dark calyxes behind them, and, and it flowers in midwinter. Um, it's also shade tolerant. It will grow out in reasonably full sun. It's fairly drought tolerant, although it's one of those indicator plants. If its leaves flag a bit, you know the garden's getting far too dry. Mm. So you rush out with the hose, give the Roldana a drink, and it'll stand up again. Uh, and it's just, I don't know, you just don't see it for sale anywhere. You don't see it around in gardens much anymore. Uh, if I were looking for a really quick screening plant for a long offence or something like that, if you plant one of those, water it well, Feed it a bit. Uh, within twelve months, it's going to be over the top of a fence, you know. And you just and go. How f- wide does it get? Well, it it's doesn't... sort of more upright than it is wide, yeah. so it probably will grow up to about three to four meters, maybe even five if it's well watered and cared for, and probably two to three meters through. Yep. And you could, in fact, remove low branches. You could keep it fairly vertical if you wanted to. So if you wanted to plant it down a sideway or something like that where you wanted a bit of height, you could make Roldana do that. And you can also treat it almost like a herbaceous perennial. So when it finishes flowering at the end of winter, um, you can slice it off at ground level and it will send up all these big, long, strong canes again with extra big leaves. Because when you coppice things, it often mm. encourages mm. them to produce huge leaves. Mm. And so if they already have a biggish leaf and it's a plant that grows fast, coppicing is actually a really good idea because then you can actually encourage that sort of look. So uh, what happens if you don't coppice it? Oh, it'll get a bit twiggy and scruffy over yeah. a period of years. Uh, so I would then go through and cut out older canes. So mm. I'd perhaps treat it sort of a bit like you might a hydrangea. Yeah. Uh, so you cut out the older wood, leave the fresher wood that's coming up from ground level because you'll end up with a thicket of stems at the ground. Mm. Uh, so you've always got wood you can cut back to. And I can remember seeing this in places like the um, uh, Footscray Park uh, down along in Footscray when I was a kid. There were great clumps of Roldana growing in that old park uh, and I'm sure that there's clumps of it in the botanic gardens in Melbourne and, and lots of other public spaces but you don't actually see it in people's gardens much these days mm. and I think it's a shame because it's a really useful good plant terribly easy to propagate dare I say um, so once you've got it you won't have to buy another one from me um, <laughs> you can either take it from cuttings or you can just divide a chunk off the side of it uh, with some roots mm. on it. Well, it's, it's good seeing some old-fashioned plants, I have to say, because we do tend to get a bit caught up with all the fancy new cultivars uh, and what's yeah. coming out and everything. So seeing some plants that you know will probably do well. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, um, well, it's going back to the belladonnery thing. I mean, if it's a plant that's got enormous sort of zest for life and, and will cope with a wide range of conditions and yet has never shown any particular propensity to become a problem, then why aren't we growing more of those plants? I mean, they just make gardening almost too easy in some places. So if you've got a back corner of the garden that you don't look after terribly well, but you want something bold and interesting, well, Roldana could be the the plant. So so there you go. And it also has that tropical-esque look about it. Uh, So I think it's a great plant. Mm. So there you go. They're my bits for this morning. 
You can visualise me in my lap lap swinging through the trees in my <laughs> tropical garden. No, maybe not. <laughs> in Mount Macedon? In no. Mount Macedon, yes. No, <laughs> probably not. But it's nice to think about it mentally. That's what I like in gardening. If you can go out in the garden and you can get a mental picture of things. I remember reading an author... Many, many years ago, uh, Beverly Nichols was his name, and he wrote, he wrote a whole series of gardening books, but he also wrote books on all sorts of things. And he was an English gardener who, uh, and, and political writer and all sorts of other writer. He, he wrote some um, novels and things as well. Uh, but his gardening books were really interesting. And in one book, he was talking about a cottage that he'd renovated, and he'd put in a rock garden. And he'd put in all these diminutive little plants. And he said, you know, your imagination could take you down to be this little lily in person and you were walking the valleys of the rock garden and, and underneath the canopy of the skillers and the cyclamen. Uh, and so he, he evoked this sort of sense of pulling himself down into this space because he created this miniature mountainscape. And that always stuck in my mind as being sort of a, a rather wonderful way of looking at gardening. Uh, so you sort of pull yourself into whatever the feel of the garden is that you're trying to create. Um, mm. It might sound a bit childish, but that's what gardening should be all about. Mm. Um, so should... with your garden, do you create specific tropical feeling areas? And I mean, I know you've got your rockery and you've got yeah. your sunny uh, areas. Look, to a large extent, I like to use the tropical foliage plants throughout because they give me a boldness to the garden. Um, which may or may not say something about me, I don't know. Uh, but a garden should always have the personality of the gardener and, and you should run with something that you think is working really well. And for me, bold foliages mixed with feathery things and strappy things and what have you work really well. So I've used them in most parts of my garden. I mean, even what I used to call my Barbara Cartland border, which was my pink and white sort of a few roses and, uh, and, and love in the mist and all that sort of stuff, uh, I've whacked a great big fur crayer in the middle of it. So it's now Barbara Cartland meets Godzilla uh, border. Um, so, I, and I think the older I get, the more I revel in foliages and textures. So, the more I'm taking it to that next level and trying to grow more and more of these really bold and tropical mm. looks. So, really, in a sense, most of my garden probably has that sort of sense of it. Um, uh, even those bits that are more flowery tend to have, you know, bold foliages of some sort or another. Because foliage will hold a garden together when flowers are gone. And I think that's really important. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we should go to a call now. Good morning, Sue in Kingsbury. Um, Yes, hello. Um, Thank you for the show. It's absolutely wonderful every Sunday morning. I I, I love it. Um, I was just um, going to ask, I I received some seeds of honesty um, called, it's white, and it says to grow in a dry, cool, dark area, and I just wondered if, um, Melbourne would be okay and what it looks like and how it would go here. Fine. Uh, honesty is easy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's an easy plant to grow. It does like a bit of semi-shade um, yeah. and it will cope with dryness once it's established. But when you sow your seed, I would try and keep the seed bed damp until ger- after, well after germination. Okay. And the white honesty is very pretty. Uh, if you can get it, the white variegated one's even prettier. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, Penny, but yeah, we're going variegated again. But, but there's a lovely white-edged leafed one with white flowers, which in a shady spot in the garden when it self-seeds itself and makes a drift yeah. is really good. Yeah. Uh, and if you want over the top, there is a variegated purple one as well. Uh, but if you do get more than one 
variety of honesty in your garden. They'll all mix together and you'll end up probably going back to the old-fashioned purple single-looking uh, one. But the, the honesty is not grown so much for the flowers. Although no. The flowers are lovely. It's grown for the seed pods, seeds. which yeah. are really remarkable and beautiful. Uh, great they're great for dried flower arrangements yeah. and that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, you put them in a vase and they sit there dry for about two years and then when they get full of cobwebs, you throw them out and start uh. again. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Penny, when would you sow them? Uh, I'd be sowing them now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, going into the cooler cooler weather. Yeah, they're like poppies. Perfect. They like to get yeah. started early. Yeah. Yep. Yes, and, and and also there's another one, a, a, a hollyhock, but it says they're black. Um, mm. They'll and, be and dark. tall. Um, how, how tall would it? Um, depends on how well you grow a hollyhock as to yeah, how tall and, it can grow. Uh, and it depends on the hollyhock too, mm. but they can be a metre and a half. Oh, yes, in, and, and in taller. Flower, in, yeah. In yeah. Yeah. So, but they're tall, spiry things, so they don't take up a lot of room widthways, really. Um, yes. And hollyhocks like a really open, sunny spot with plenty of air circulation because they're very prone to rust. Mm. Okay, yes. Oh, yeah, because I actually got given them, so I thought I should give them a try. Yeah. Oh, they're lovely plants. Yeah, yeah. Fun yeah. Yeah, both of those plants are sort of those old-fashioned cottagey, gorgeous things that you know, yeah. like yeah. delphiniums and lupins and all that sort of stuff. They evoke a sort of a, a period gone in a way, and I think they're great plants. I, I would sow them into punnets and then sow them out. And the hollyhocks, yeah, the I would. Yeah, mm. the hollyhocks. The honesty are a bit easier to just grow straight from sowing them in the garden, but um, yeah, the the hollyhocks I'd put into a punnet and plant out. Okay. Um, yeah. Thanks very much. I'll give it a go. Thank you. Good on you. And good luck. Okay. Thank you. Black hollyhocks and white honesty is yeah. an interesting, there you go. interesting Good group combination. of combination. Yes. <laughs> you do kind of feel a certain sense of uh, responsibility when someone gives you seeds or something yeah. like that, don't you? Because, yeah. yeah, you want to put them in. And you want to put them in before you actually forget what they are, and then you've mm. got this packet of little seeds. Yeah, yeah, what was that? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> was it a sequoia? Yeah, <laughs> yeah hopefully not. Yeah. Yeah, James, James and I are having a um, – we're going to be having a bit of a competition. James purchased uh-huh. some uh, walking onion. And, um, yes, what, you're going to see how fast they can run? Pretty much, yeah, yeah. 100-metre <laughs> dash. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Whose onion can get across the whole garden? Yeah. Uh, but James, you've got, you've got a head start on me. I'm not planting mine until next Saturday, which is the right. correct moon planting time for ah, onions, so mine might actually okay. catch up to yours. Yeah, well, we'll see. Yeah, we'll have to yeah, see, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Mine have have you... just shot in the last probably week or so. Oh, I so do you hate plant you. the bulbs or the bobbles? I, I, got, um, I got bulbs, yeah, yeah. so they'll be, they'll be a bit quicker. Um, but um, it's the first time I've grown them, so I'm quite curious as to... Well, as talking as about tough go. plants, if you want to grow onions, they're the toughest. They're the ones to grow. And the easiest to grow yeah. of all the onions. Yep. That's, so what yeah. that's what I'm banking on. <laughs> 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 Flavour-wise, how do they vary? Because I've not tr- tried eating quite, them. Quite strong onion. They have got a good strong flavor. oniony yep. flavour? Oh, yep. that's good. So do yeah. you eat the little bulbs that form on top as well? Yeah, both. Yeah, yeah. So everything. Because yeah. I've always found with onion, I always kind of think it's weird. You you know, you plant one plant and you get one get plant. Get one plant, yes. yes. <laughs> All these things, yeah, but yeah. it's kind of superfluous. I, I, what I actually do if I'm harvesting a lot of them is that I replant the bulbs. So I keep, because they're fiddly to use, mm-hmm. but um, so I tend to use the the bulbs and use the bulbs to regrow them each year. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they're my seed stock. Yep, yep. And do they actually walk through your garden? Do you let them? Um, yeah, they look. If you just leave them, then they yes, will. they do yep. because they collapse over. Then you can't ne- always determine what direction they go in. So they might go that way one year and then back the other way the next year. But um, yeah, so they could they, walk in circles. They could, <laughs> yes, 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 or just backwards and forwards. Yeah. Um, but yeah, because I tend to harvest the bulbs um, and I replant the bulbs, mm-hmm. so. 
Yeah, so they don't I, get I uh, control uh, yeah. what they do. Yeah, yeah. well, um, I've actually got walking tomatoes as well. They, <laughs> they sell <laughs> seed everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That tends to happen, particularly if you've grown any of the, you know, oh, the, the cherry, ones, the cherry yeah. tomatoes, yeah. yeah, because in invariably you're going to have some some overripe tomatoes that you haven't realised were there and they've dropped to the ground and suddenly yeah. next year, yeah. free tomatoes, tomatoes. Yeah, everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I feel so grateful when they come up that I, yeah, I never wonderful. want to pull them out. Yeah, yeah. I'm always so excited. Oh right, you and can they grow. often do rather well. <laughs> they usually do yeah. because they're the tough ones. They're, mm. they're survivors, so you, that you actually get a really good crop out of a lot of those ones, so they're, they're well worthwhile hanging on to. Yes. Yep. That number, if uh, people would like to join us this morning, 94190155, 94190155. We are running through until 9.15, so plenty of time to phone in and ask a gardening question. But what I'd really like to talk about right now, and, and a few of us are, are sitting looking at uh, a copy of this book, um, this is actually a new book by Alan Gilbert. Now, it's, it only got released two weeks ago. And um, Alan, uh, as you all know, was a great friend of, of 3CR Gardening Show. He was a presenter here for many years. He ran the Garden Advisory Service out at uh, Burnley College. Um, unfortunately, he has just passed away. But before he did, he managed to write this book and the title, Grafting and Budding for Australian Gardeners. Now, this is all the work that Alan spent years and years on experimenting with different different um, methods of grafting and budding. Mm. This was his real area of forte out of everything horticultural. Um, he was an absolute whiz at, at coming up with different methods uh, for various reasons. And I have to say that uh, the amount of information in this book is absolutely incredible. Um, he does uh, go into grafting and budding methods, and he gives a lot of detail there uh, in that, and, and including lots of photographs and diagrams so that he's fully explaining the different methods he uses and the reasons why he's, he's used some of those different methods. So he actually recommends different ones for different reasons uh, throughout the book. But um, he also covers things like why do you bother to graft, uh, basic principles of grafting. He gives a lot of talk, mm. too, about um, scion and rootstock, which mm. I think is fantastic, and recommending different rootstocks for, for different um, families of plants as to what, what might suit them better. So mm. um, how did you find it, Stephen? Well, I have to say all of that's true all the things you've said uh, but the thing I found most interesting about it is that it's still got Alan's quirkiness oh it has it's 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 Alan Gilbert I mean you open the book and and some pearls come out of all sorts of amazing things Alan uh, had to say and do and I have to say in passing uh, Alan was the one that started me on 3CR way back and I still to this day have no idea when I first started on 3CR but it's got to be well over 20 years ago um, and he invited me in one one week as a, as a guest uh, and I came in and we you know did whatever we were doing that week and he said oh you should probably do this regularly you probably quite good at this um, and um, so I started doing it once a month uh, and I did that for ages and ages and ages and then I had another gardening 
program that was being done somewhere else that sort of cut into my time on 3CR, so I couldn't be in here for the full hour and three quarters, so I moved to once a fortnight so that I was still giving good value, uh, and I've been there ever since. So Alan was the one that started me on this, and he was one of those ones that, when you listen to on the radio... You could start somewhere and you're never quite sure where you'd end up. Because <laughs> uh, Alan would often lead the conversation off in, in the most esoteric directions. And, and quite often it was great fun and, 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 it, and it gave all sorts of unexpected information. But he was just sort of one of those quirky people that sort of had a different slant on things. And, and if you read this book... Um, it, I think it personifies uh, Alan's character because he goes into all sorts of slightly esoteric parts of grafting and budding that may or may not be uh, of use to the home gardener or of any use to a commercial grower. Um, but they're all things that he's tried and, and it's worked and, and, and he wants to share it with everybody. And, and it's sort of, yeah, it, it's got his enthusiasm in it. Um, yeah, so it's a very personal book as well as being a particularly useful book if you're interested in this particular sphere and you know he demystifies it too because most people are a little bit nervous or frightened of budding and grafting uh, and he makes it sound really simple really straightforward that any goose should be able to bud and graft uh, and I'm sure if you follow his techniques you will. I think he does inspire people to at least have a go because yeah. he's, he's giving you that basic information to, to maybe that you just might might give it a try mm. um, and and if it doesn't work I mm. mean he he also says plenty of reasons why things don't work and and he had a lot of lots of failures yeah. um, as he was experimenting but um, but yeah I, th- I think you know because people are scared of budding or grafting yeah. and I've always said that you know to, the way to learn to bud or graft is to probably have somebody show you how to do it as a uh, who's already proficient at it and that still holds true to a large extent but I think this book probably comes closer to being able to show you how to do it in any book I've ever seen because mm. uh, normally I would suggest just find somebody who knows how to do the job and get them to show you how to do it. Um, but even if you mm. do that, sometimes you need to be reminded because you, oh, yeah. you don't then go and do it straight away. So if you've got this book in your hand, and it's a perfect size to actually have out in the garden with you. It yeah. is. Yes, I can see copies of this getting sort of sap all over them and, <laughs> and grotty fairly quickly. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's it's a great little book, and it's a, it's a nice memorial, really, to yeah, Alan I, in a way. It, for me, it was like having Alan back in the Yeah, room, it is. It's sort of like having him so, there. Yeah. Well, I didn't know Alan for very long, but um, what I did know of him and, and learn from speaking with him, he was extremely particular about sharing the right information, yeah. wasn't he? he oh, re- yes. He was really particular that nobody should share information unless they knew that yeah. it was, you know, correct. Yeah. And um, I, I'm pretty sure that would come across in the book. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Absolutely. And as Stephen said, the photographs and diagrams are fantastic. Yeah. And, and I know because Ellen was um, so sick towards the end that his wife, Laurie Cosgrove, had a big hand in, in helping with this too. And I know that Ellen would have wanted us to acknowledge, you know, the work that she put into Absolutely. it Absolutely, yes. So it's, um, yeah, and, and yeah, it's a, it's a um, I think it's, it's a fabulous book. And it's a really... You know, if you have a have a a whole range of books that you've written through a lifetime, and and Alan has some fantastic books, and some of those are actually listed in the back. It's nice to have that your last book as being a really special one. So yeah, I think it's I think he's he's done a great job with it, and I I'm not a grafter or a butter. I'm not a great one either. And, it's, um, it's something I've never really acquired the skills but, for well. But one of the things he explains is when you would want to bud and graft. Mm. And I found that really interesting that, that um, 
that there are times, you know, when you need to do it, rather because you can't get them any other way and trying to preserve some of the old fruit trees. But, you know, lots of different reasons. And I and I just I think it's really comprehensive and, as you say, idiosyncratic. Oh, so yes. It's just, it's, it's a really nice book. You know, some gardening books are fantastic, but they can be a bit bland. You know, they're full of information, but you don't really get the personality of the of the author, whereas this is sort of like a, almost an autobiography and a grafting and budding book at the same mm. time. Particularly when, when, when you're tackling, you know, a fairly technical uh, subject matter. Yes. Mm. But he, yeah. his personality still shines yeah. through, which is fantastic. Yeah. No. Now, it's been published by Highland House. Um, Highland House have published all of Alan's books, and they've got um, that huge range. He was a prolific writer, yeah. mm. covering yep. many, many topics. Um, as I say, this one only uh, was only released uh, two weeks ago, mm. so it is in the bookshops now. Um, recommended retail price is uh, $29.95. Now, Highland House have been very generous to us. They've actually given us three copies that we can offer this morning uh, for our supporters segment. And uh, that means that uh, the first uh, three people who would actually like a copy... Um, uh, we will charge $30, but that, of course, goes to supporting 3CR and The Gardening Show. If you would like it posted out to you, um, if you add an extra $6.50 onto the $30, we can post it out for you. Otherwise, if you like to call into the station during office hours during the week, um, and you can pick it up from the office there. But as I say, we only have three copies so if anyone out there would like to secure a copy hot off the press, um, do give us a call now on 94190155. And Can Jan I say, can if, take any, a call. if anybody wanted to pick one up from me, I'm happy to take it back to Macedon too. So, Fantastic, you know, Stephen. So if somebody in my area wanted to get a copy of the book, yep. uh, I can take it back to the nursery and, and have it there for them. So that if you ring in now so that I know... Yes, because um, you'll have to take it back yeah, with I you. I need to take it back to Macedon. So, yes, any of my local customers and friends from up around the Macedon area, if you want the book on budding, budding and grafting, just let us know and I can have it up at the nursery. Fantastic. Now, we only have uh, Jan on the outside lines at the moment, so if you can't get through, please be patient because she will get to all callers as soon as she can. Uh, it looks like there are a few calls there. 94190155. If you're not successful this morning, do look out for it in bookshops, though, because it is a fantastic little reference. Okay, um, it's also time, of course, uh, if we invite our listeners again to uh, join in for the program. If you have any questions this morning, we'd love to hear from you. Again, that number is 94190155. Penny, um, I know you've been, you've been out at, at Mifkus a lot of your days uh, this week. Yep. But um, have you got anything coming up? Someone once said, said to me that they thought the Chili Festival is coming up soon again. Uh, that's you know? been on this weekend. So oh, Herb this and weekend. Chili Festival, yeah. No wonder it was coming it's, up soon. <laughs> it's been, it's been a, a funny year this year because Easter, Easter was so early. So everything in. ended up on this weekend. Okay. So, um, I wasn't actually going to be at the Herb and Chili Festival anyway, but um, they yeah did end up being at the, on the same weekend, which uh, is unfortunate. But you know it we is. can't control when Easter comes, I guess. That's so right. Well, hopefully the churches are getting together and dealing with that. No, I no. read something in the paper not long ago where it's all the Christian it's churches to do with are trying the full moon and, yeah. and all well, that. Well, they're sort trying of to set a date. Certain, yeah, okay. They're, they're trying to so actually, and they have been doing this for several hundred years, trying to set a yeah, date. I might okay. add. Uh, so don't expect it to to, yeah, to happen really soon. But yes, all. All the churches have agreed it should happen. 
Yeah. So now they've got to work out how it can happen. And it would be actually quite nice to know that Easter was on the third weekend in April or whatever. Uh, Well, you could set the school holidays around it then properly instead of having, you know, the Victorian school holidays start just Mm. before Easter. The New South Wales ones start the week after Easter. So, you know, there's no coincidence at all. Yes, exactly. And then my birthday won't be on Good Friday anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Might be permanently on Good Friday. Yeah, well, there's a point. I hadn't thought about it that way. Uh, Chances are it won't. There's too many weeks to choose from, so hopefully. I can remember as a child, my mum was a very strong Catholic and we always always used to have to give up something for Lent. And little boys were always made to give up lollies for Lent. And sometimes my birthday would fall within uh, the Lent period, so I wasn't allowed to have any lollies on my birthday. Well, that's your I'm own, still shattered by it. It's your own fault, Stephen. You should have pretended to really enjoy broccoli or something oh, like that, yes. then you'd have to give up a broccoli. A.B., why didn't yeah. I think of that? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. No. I, was a, I was a very sneaky young man as it was, but I never thought of that. So there you go. But um, can I just say that the garden show this year, is a, it, there's some beautiful gardens to come and look at. Um, Carolyn Blackman's garden is one of the most stunning gardens that I've so it is beautiful. It is the use of plants mm. is superb. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, they've I, got full-grown hedges. And, yeah. you know, things yep. that when you really think about it, take quite a lot to get together yeah. for a, yeah. a not even week-long garden ex- yes. exposition. Yeah. Uh, so there's full-grown hedges and pleached trees, and mm. um, and you know, all the brickwork is beautiful, and the paving, and it's just lovely. It's and, so well done that yeah. it looks effortless. Oh yeah, you know, that's and the, you know it ain't. Yeah. Yes, indeed. <laughs> uh, and the other one that you were talking about. Steve, oh, you see, Ian Barker one that goes out over the reflections. Water. Yeah, yes. reflections. That's yeah. lovely, and it's nice to see somebody actually using that lake quite literally well, he this was, time. He been trying to get permission to build out over the lake for years and it's only this year that he finally got permission and do you know he filtered the water in the lake Mm. so that the reflections would be more enhanced so that's the amount of effort that these designers go to which is and look I have to say those two designs could have held their own pretty well at Chelsea too I mean I've always been a little dismissive of the stuff that we put on here because there's not the same money to put into it as Mm. there is in Chelsea and things like that and you regularly see the sort of wood chips hiding the edge of the plastic pot sort of syndrome Um, and I guess we've still got some of that too but those two designs were done so seamlessly and so beautifully mm. that they could easily have been Chelsea Gardens. They're mm. just lovely. And, and we are lucky. We've got such beautiful outlooks, you know, oh, yeah. you know, being yeah. at the exhibition gardens and, mm. and having the gardens spaced all around mm. this time rather than just being in the, in the single avenues has yeah. made a big difference. And the, and the sustainable garden, the um, achievable gardens are really good. Oh, there's some really cute, I, I quirky love, ones in amongst those. those. Yeah. yeah, they're really yeah. good. So there's so, lots to do. Well, yeah. I have to say... Um, one of the other gardens that that I really love because I love what it stands for is the little bluestone laneway that they've recreated. Yes. Yep. Trying to encourage people to to think about utilising some of this land that is around air, you know Melbourne. There mm. are a lot of laneways there mm. that are not being put to any use at all. Often they're full of rubbish that's blown in mm. and. Uh, they're being given no love and attention. And I just thought that that little, I mean, the bluestone paving that they've done looks so realistic. You'd swear it was... It what, was, it's easy to trip on and everything? Oh, yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, you know, and this, this mural graffiti sort of artwork Pam, along I, the paving I couldn't fence. find it. Can you tell me where that is? You couldn't find it. It's no. directly across from Reflections. Okay. Straight across. Ah, yeah. so okay. down in there. All right, yeah. I'll go... 
go yeah, you have to go and have a Everyone's look. Everyone's so busy yeah. looking at reflections, the garden, that, that they don't they, look yeah. the other way, and it's exactly across the I saw photographs of it, and I thought, I must go and look oh, at this. And I, I just couldn't. I didn't have a lot of time, but yep. I couldn't find it. No, I so. absolutely love it, so you yeah. must go and have a look yeah. today. Yeah. And yeah. so and anyone who's coming in today, come and say hello to us on the Organic Gardener Stand. And We've got a special offer on um, subscriptions with a really good show bag that's even got a half bottle of organic wine in it oh, and whoa. coffee. So we've got these adult show bags. Adult show bags. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, we must get to some callers. We're going to go to Evelyn in Surrey Hills. Good morning, Evelyn. Oh, good morning. Um, I have a blood orange and it's got on its leaves a silvery, traily, um, something's eating it. I did find a green caterpillar yesterday, which I did squash, um, but most of the young leaves are um, curling. And it's got webbing on it, a bit of webbing on it as well? Uh, yes, it's sort of so silver. It'll be a leaf, leaf miner, leaf won't it? Sounds like a yeah. leaf miner. Yeah. Right. Um, the first step is to remove the leaves that have got the leaf miner in it and, and put them into a plastic bag and put them in the bin. Right. Um, and then I would spray with a... Oil, pest oil, probably. I I don't use any. Um, uh, pest pest oil is is um, will only affect what it actually touches and it smothers them. Pest oil. Yeah. Um, is that like neem? It's an organic. You, you you could use neem as well if you wanted to. The problem with leaf miners is that they are inside the leaf, so yeah, it's you hard really to get at them. you only oh. really get them when they sort of tunnel out. Mm. Um, so that's why you remove the leaves where they're obviously there um, and get rid of the leaves first. And what you're then trying to do is just control anything. Just to manage that, it. Yeah. Mm. Oh, okay. Oh, I actually have got eco oil. Eco oil's good. That's okay. what I. That's what I'm talking about with the pest oil. Yeah, no, eco, oh. any eco organic product is certified organic, so they're fine. Yeah, and then also um, give it a um, a dose of liquid seaweed as well, mm-hmm. just to um, yeah, just to encourage those really strong cells and um, yeah, yeah, keep the give plant, it a tonic. Yeah, keep tonic. the plant as okay. healthy as possible. Yeah, because it just affects all the very young. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It does. That's the problem. Is that it gets into particularly at this time of year. It's at its worst, you know, in the hot, in the hot period. With the colder weather, it, it, the problem will diminish a bit anyway. Mm-hmm. And with the wet weather, but hot, dry weather, middle of summer is when the leaf miners are at there doing their darndest. Doing their thing, yeah. Yes. And and when plants are really healthy, I read this recently. They actually emit a particular chemical that. Um, um, basically t- tells pests to nick off. So, yeah, um, yeah, yeah they that, kick that, sand in their face. They do, yeah. <laughs> so that's a you know, very good scientific reason to keep our plants healthy. Oh, great. Okay. <laughs> and and okay. while you, if you've got other citrus, just have a quick look at those too because if you've got them in your blood orange, you may well have them in your, if you've got yeah, the mandarins and things, yeah. it will yeah. go into other citrus. Well, I actually do. I've got um, the Mediterranean sweet and then I've got a kumquat. Yeah. Got, so I've got an orange grove. Okay. Yes. It sounds wonderful, but just check the others as well. Okay. Could I ask one more question? Sure. Um, parsley. Um, I've got lots of it, but I'm finding that the parsley is quite coarse, even the young growth. Okay, so, cool. it, look, that's probably seasonal. It's probably mm. the struggle with, you know, it's been really hot and dry. It's been a really tough summer. Um, you, but you may have a, is, is, have you got a plain leaf cultivar? It's, because they it's tend to be. Parsley. Yeah, so they tend to be slightly um, coarser anyway. Mm. I just chop them finer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, look, that'll be that'll be to do with the climate. The climate. Yeah. And lack of water. Probably. 
Yeah. yeah. So as soon as we get a bit of rain and and the you know the the weather softens a bit, you'll find your parsley will respond to that. Fantastic. Oh, thank you so much for your show. That's right. Thanks, Pleasure. Evelyn. Okay. Bye. Great, and we should go straight to Alan now in Heidelberg Heights. Good morning, Alan. Oh, good morning, all. Thank you. Um, actually, I just picked up the last book, available on Gilbert. Oh, oh great. Um, question, um, I was at a neighbour's place the other day and um, had a beautiful fig, and um, I thought, oh, I'll take a cutting. But I was reading um, uh, Louis Kowinski's book, and he says um, to take um, deciduous hardwood cuttings. Yeah. Now, has anybody been able to um, tell me if it's possible to ta- do it from a softwood um, cutting which I took, I took about a metre. Look, it's uh, possible, uh, but I'd treat it like a hardwood cutting. Oh, so I, mean, I would okay. take any leaves off yeah. and I'd take the tip out of it because that'll just flag yeah. um, and and pop that up into some you know good compost or potting mix uh, and there's a good chance it'll strike. A good chance. And, okay. and it, did you say you took about a metre? About a metre, yeah. Yeah, I'd cut that into two or three Yeah, cuttings. two or three cuttings, yeah. Of, yeah. 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 yeah, so that's what I'd do with it and just make sure it doesn't dry out because as soon as they dry out, you'll possibly lose it. So keep it reasonably moist, but don't keep it wet and soggy. Yeah, and dip it in some honey. A bit now, as it is, I put the cutting in a bucket of water to try to keep it kind of moist. Yeah. Um, yeah. But anyway, we'll see how we go. Yeah, look, All it's right. worth a crack. I mean, you've and got yeah, little to lose. Crack, yeah. And yeah. if it doesn't work, go back and get another one. Oh, yeah, if I time. can, yeah. It's a beautiful thing. Um, <laughs> best one I've ever had in my life. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Okay. All right, thanks very much. Bye-bye. Thanks, Alan. Bye-bye. Um, we did have uh, someone ring in to uh, get hold of the copy of Alan Gilbert's book and unfortunately they hung off before Jan could get to them. Uh, we do have one copy of the book left, so if that person likes to ring back on 94190155 and Jan will try and get straight to your call at number 9419. 0155, so we do have one copy of the book left, and if that person who uh, who uh, couldn't wait at the time, if you'd like to ring back, we will get on to you. Okay, um, please don't forget, if you'd like to join the program this morning, we'd love to hear from you. Again, that number, 94190155, to ask a gardening question, make a comment, or whatever we're talking about or if you've been out to Mifkus and you've got some comments to make about uh, what you th- think of the show this year things you've found um, really helpful or useful or things that uh, you've really appreciated from the displays we'd love to hear your comments I thought the Burnley display was really interesting and quirky and different did, you have, no, did anyone else see it? No, it, it's, it's, there's a bright red container and inside, uh, hanging from the roof, oh, are yes, all yes, these I, I proper actually, yes. test tubes and propagating little plants, and each one is labelled, and it tells you how they how they did it and what the plant is, and you know it's growing in growing medium in and, each of the test tubes. And they've got a photo of someone horticulturally uh, significant on no, them. No, 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 no. This is a separate display oh. outside because right. it's what it's their anniversary. I can't remember which anniversary it is, but um, I think it's something like the hundred twenty-five. Yeah, I th- yeah, something I th- yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, they've gone back and looked at various graduates from the university, and they have these paper cones with a. a they must have been taken from a book or some sort of compilation of, of graduates and it's got a bit of a screed about the person but also a photograph of the person and they're all hanging like sort of 
hanging baskets almost. <laughs> Interesting like, place for a horticulturalist people, to end up is in a hanging people, basket. Yeah. <laughs> people like, like Gwen and Roger Elliott yeah, are on yeah, there yeah, and, and Jane Edmondson. Faces, and, yeah. and it's just yeah. really nice to, and, but others, you know, obviously from the 1800s and wandering around looking at the, looking at the pictures of the, of the various people who've graduated from there. So yeah, I, I just they have an interesting. Burnley often does some really interesting displays there, and this time they're celebrating sort of the scientific work that they're doing and the people that have come from Burnley. So that's worth going and having a mm. look at too. So you yeah. have had time to have a bit of a wonder. That was all done in about fifteen minutes. There's something about the layout of the paths in the gardens there. I always miss a section yes. somehow or another. Well, well, I, I think I've walked found the, the hanging baskets. Oh, oh, yeah, they, I've, yeah they're, I've seen they're that. They're near us. Oh, so, okay. Yes, so and they're right right down that side, sort of, right over the other side. Yeah. But they're always worth looking at. Yeah. I haven't got to them yet, even though they're just around the corner. But the other, the other one that I had to have a smile about, um, the tree and shrub growers have got an old um, VW oh, beetle yes. oh, all one, planted yes. out. And it reminded me, because when I was judging school gardens, uh, when we went down to... Uh, to Can River, to the the school down there, they had done exactly the same thing, and this is going back several years now. Totally planted out with all their orchids, um, using it virtually like a, a greenhouse. Mm. And uh, tree and shrubbies have done it with an old beetle this year. So yeah. It's, yeah, it's got bamboo erupting out the yes, windows it and has. things. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's quite good fun. It is. And look, that actually does say something about what gardening should be too. I, need, I mean, as, as professional horticulturalists, we take it quite seriously. But also, you know, at the end of the day, Gardening is supposed to be a fun, leisure time pursuit mm. for the general public. And I think there should be a little more emphasis on fun. Uh, people do tend to take their gardening quite seriously sometimes. And even here in the radio station, we're, we're inclined to be part of that seriousness because people ring in with problems and so it's sort of problem-driven and what have you. Uh, so it's really nice to see people have fun. And so, yeah, to see something sort of quirky and fun, uh, even something that might be a bit kitschy or what have you, as long as people are taking it in the way it should be, mm. it, it can be great fun. And, you know, a little bit of quirkiness is great in gardening because we don't want to have gardens all sort of coming out of the one mould. Exactly, mm. yes. exactly. Yes. Well, we should go to Ali in Armadale. Good morning, Ali. Good morning. Um, I've got a question about uh, succulents. I'm trying to learn something about them. And <clears throat> so far I've discovered that there are some that um, uh, when they multiply, uh, they, you know, they send their bits out and then the, the stuff in the, in the centre dies. Uh, and there are others that, that don't do that. What I'd like to know is, is there a botanical term that describes that process? Probably. Oh. <laughs> um, I'm sure that, well, actually, there is in a sense, because the, the rosette that flowers and dies yeah. um, would be considered monocarpic, mm. uh, oh, which okay. means it, it, it wants yep. flowers. Yep. Um, the fact that it produces offsets and then they keep going again makes it slightly different to a truly monocarpic plant because truly monocarpic plants, the whole plant dies after flowering. Yeah, yeah. But it's the only term I can think of that comes close. Um, uh, so the rosette itself would be considered monocarpic. Right, right. I've, see, I've only just discovered that that's the difference between echeverias and uh, semper. Yeah, sempervivums. Yeah. yeah, the yeah the echeverias flower from the edge uh, from the outsides of the rosettes or from yeah. from the sides, whereas the sempervivums uh, flower from the centre. Yeah. And so, of course, there's no growing tip left when and they do that. And it's very disheartening when you plant them and you expect to get a whole planter box full of these things, 
And now what you've got is dead centres. Well, you've got to whip those dead centres out and then you replant with young rosettes. Right. So the sempervivums require a little bit more management to keep them looking neat and tidy. Although right. having said that, some cultivars flower more regularly than others. I've had some cultivars of sempervivums for years and I've never actually had one flower. I know at some stage they will, um, whereas I've had other sempervivums that almost kill themselves every year or two uh, with far too many rosettes flowering, and they become a little bit more difficult to manage and keeping to look good. Um, But, yeah, you just need to manage them a bit more with the sempervivums, that's all. And talking about fun in the garden, sempervivums are also known as houselicks, and they're called houselicks because they used to, in in their countries of origin, they used to be grown on the roofs of houses. And that was to bring good luck. So growing, mm. growing them on your roof or near your roof or in your gutterings mm. or wherever um, is supposed to stop you from being struck by lightning and make sure that money comes into the house. Yeah. <laughs> so, all, all of which are very worthwhile <laughs> pursuits, I have to say. Um, uh, and, of course, sempervivum means sort of ever-living. Mm. So um, uh, they're considered to go on for forever. And... To keep them from, well, you can't stop them flowering, but to keep them in good nick and to discourage them from flowering as long as possible, don't overfeed them. Okay. Uh, Sempervivums are better if they're kept a little tight and a little mean with feeding. Uh, They'll keep a better form and they'll also colour better. Some of them colour quite nicely in the cold weather. Some actually colour with the heat in summer. Um, And if they're just that... On the point of being a little hungry, they don't want to be starving, but on the point of being a little hungry, they're often much more colourful as well. Oh, okay. So you don't, you want to treat them mean. Right. Uh, a little bit. Now, can I just ask another quick question? Uh, can you recommend a good, really basic book on, um, um, botany? As in, Bot- uh, botanical Latin or as in... No, no, just, the, you know, how plants work and, um, you know, their their structure and all the rest of it. Oh, maybe even um, name that name that flower or so one, one of those but that ones. Doesn't, that, that doesn't it go... Goes, it goes into the structure of plants. Um, maybe yeah. not... I don't know of any particular book out there, I have I've, to say. I've got a... I've got a good one, but it's a, it's an American one. Yeah. Um, but I, just off the top of my head, I can't remember the name. Well, there's of it. some but, homework for you. But I'll Penny. I'll find out for yeah. you, and I'll let Pam know. Yeah. Oh, terrific! Because you'll probably be able to buy it on Amazon or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah so yeah, there's got to be quite a number of them out there, but it's just not something that I've engaged with for years trying to find a book like that. I mean, there's some great yeah. books out there on botanical Latin yeah, um, yeah. that are very worthwhile having because they can explain what the meanings of a lot of plant names are, which then gives you a lot of insider information that you wouldn't otherwise get. But yes, just on basic botany, I'm, I can't say that I've, I've seen anything. I've actually like. lent mine to a friend, so I'm not sure. Um, oh, well, make sure you to... get it back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm scared to lend books to friends because yeah. it's a good way to lose them, both books and friends. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much for that. Thanks. thanks Pleasure, Ellie. Ellie. Bye. Bye. Yeah, that's very interesting, isn't it? With uh, with beginner gardeners, you tend mm. to look at plants with new eyes, just listening yeah. to them, don't you? I mean, yeah. James and I, we're both researchers at Gardening Australia, and there's a couple of young women um, who pretty much hold the show together, mm. um, Nicole and Rosie, and neither of them know anything about gardening. And it's <laughs> absolutely delightful. I keep saying to them, you're not allowed to learn anything about gardening because I just love their observations. And Rosie, um, uh, Millie had given Rosie a tomato to grow last summer, and um, she grew it up what she called 
a climb. No, what, what did she call it? A um, a growing stick, a not growing up a stake. It was <laughs> a, up a, a growing, growing stick, stick. and yeah. I just thought that was such a brilliant term for a stake. From now on, all my stakes are, are growing sticks. So, <laughs> but yeah, it is nice seeing um, gardening through new eyes. Yes, well, and and it's also great to encourage and enthuse people who you know are trying their first plant up a growing stick. Yes, um, because you know they may well go on to be the enthusiastic gardeners of the future. So, um, and you and actually. Uh, complete ignorance can be quite useful too sometimes because you'll try things that other people won't Mm. Uh, and so you can sometimes come into this and learn things that you know other people will tell you won't work so you don't try and I remember when I first started out in the the nursery industry I was 10 years old my dad had opened a nursery my dad was a painter and interior decorator by trade so he knew bugger all Uh, I didn't know anything because I was 10 years old and dad had opened this nursery because we had land uh, and he was always the entrepreneur Uh, and I don't think he knew the difference between a day and a daisy um, at that particular point in time but if it had a flower on it he'd flog it Um, and we were doing some of the silliest things you know that we didn't know we couldn't do um, you know, propagating cuttings that were far too long in commercial nursery and we would laugh and yet the damn things would get roots. Uh, all sorts of things like that. You know, mm. so and so sometimes going in completely ignorant and trying things, you can sometimes do things that the experts tell you won't work. Absolutely. And I do remember my dad, he decided he was going to learn a bit. So he went to work one day a fortnight, I think it was, down at Harry Jackson's nursery east in East Malvern, Idaho Nurseries. It's long gone now. But Harry was, I think, an in-law by marriage twice removed or something. So he was sort of connected to our family in one way or another. And Jack Plumridge was working as a retired chap who used to work at Burnley. He was the head head teacher of propagation at Burnley for 30 or 40 or 50 years or something. Um, And he was doing some propagating as a retired gentleman down at Harry's to keep his hand in. And so he was trying to show Dad how to do cuttings. And Dad was whacking in these great big things. And and Jack Plumridge was putting in conifer cuttings that were about an inch long. Uh, And he was laughing at Dad and saying, these things won't work. This is how you do it. I've taught how to do this for 40 years. This is how you do it. And within six months, Dad was bringing back pots of cuttings that were ready to go into eight-inch pots with good root systems on them. And and poor old Jack just couldn't believe it. He said, well, you know, here I am, an 80-year-old, and I'm learning new techniques from somebody who's never actually been in the industry. Absolutely. So, it must have been the start of the, the deep planting. Yes, it probably was. Yes, <laughs> yes it, was, it was probably my father's initial sort of attempts at something Absolutely. like that, although he wouldn't have said it that way. Um, so that's what happens. Um. As I mentioned earlier, we do have one last copy of Alan Gilbert's book uh, left. If someone out there would like to grab it while it's available, um, it is uh, going to support the 3CR Gardening Show and 3CR in general. $30 for that copy is hot off the press. It's only been released two weeks ago. Or uh, for an added $6.50, we can post it out to you. But there's one copy left if you'd like to ring in on 94190155. We've had a listener on the outside line who wants to know how closely to plant sweet peas. They know they, they, the, the myth is that they should be planted on St. Patrick's Day, which of course yep. is just gone. So how close, they want to know. But I, the, I don't think it's very technical. No, it's the same as if you were planting climbing peas. So, yeah. you know, you put them mm. a few centimetres apart, yeah. you know, depending on how, yeah. how well you Perhaps want to Perhaps a hand span or so apart. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, because yeah. they'll all climb in together. Yeah. Um, and uh, I guess sweet peas en masse are better than sweet peas well separated. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So closer is better than further away, I would yeah. have said. 
Mm. Well, I think to um, they can support each other a bit if, mm. if there's a bit of wind around. If they're yeah. too widespread, they'll just stop. And they do need a decent climbing frame. Something to cling to. on to. Because yeah. 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 otherwise they spend a lot of time looking smashed to the ground. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and they are such lovely flowers. I adore yeah. sweet peas. They're one yeah. of those gorgeous things, you know, mm. that probably more people should be growing. Mm. Absolutely. All right, we're going to go to Sharon in Cheltenham. Good morning, Sharon. Oh, good morning. Um, look, a question my son brought me, which I've never wanted, a, a little terrarium. About terrarium. You mean yeah. a terrarium, don't yeah. you? Yes. <laughs> well, I hate them. I've never wanted one. But anyway, it's hard to give away things that, like that. Yeah, and your really. son bought it for you, and he loves you, so yes. you, you've got to look after it. Yes, <laughs> don't remind me. But what happened is it's got what I think is common names of freckle plant in it. Yeah, yes, it Now, the blasted thing has grown out of the terrarium and it's about a foot above the yeah. top of the terrarium. Yeah. Now, what am I going to do with it over winter? Well, you need to prune it back for a start because it sounds to me like everything's out of balance. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I, I mean, the freckle plant is, is a very hardy thing. It's very easy to look after. Um, and you could cut it back to about two or three sets of nodes from the bottom. Oh, okay. And then you could put all that extraneous material in as cuttings, uh, <laughs> and it will strike quite easily from cuttings. You'll have freckles everywhere. Oh, God. Uh, yeah, so you can give them some back to your son and make him look after them, perhaps. <laughs> um, but you need to keep nipping it and cutting it to keep it low and bushy in the, in the terrarium, because it's quite obviously uh, getting too big for the container it's in. Uh, yeah. So that's what I would do with it. You wouldn't... I was contemplating taking it out of it and putting it in a pot. Well, you could. You could do that as well, uh, as long as you've got something to replace it um, uh, with in the, in the terrarium. Or if the other... If, is it the only plant in the terrarium or are there other things in there? No, there were other things and that was ridiculous. They were all too big for the thing, so I hoisted them out and put them in the garden. <laughs> yes, it does sound to me like whoever put the, the thing together oh. in the first place used plants that were perhaps a bit too vigorous for the container you're working with. Exactly. Maybe you took the fre- take the freckle plant out, get yourself some, uh, some of those little salaginellas, the little mossy type plants that could creep around in the bottom of it that are fairly easy to maintain and they don't get out of hand. Um, what the hell do they call Salaginella commonly? I'm trying to think what its common name is. It's something moss. Mm. Um, but it's a little creepy moss thing. Club moss? No, something like that. Not moss. No, no, no. This is a little sort of ferny looking plant. Oh, okay. um, uh, it's sort of between a fern and a moss. Right. And, uh, and you can get gold forms of it, you get green forms of it. Um, uh, so you could use some of that. You might put some baby's tears in it. I mean, that's a nice yeah, little creepy I've, plant. I've got some of that already. Yeah. yeah, so you could put some smaller things into it. Yeah. Uh, oh, and then just, then just tell your son that, you know, evolution has taken its toll. <laughs> and so it's evolved into its new level. I know he's sound asleep right now. He won't be listening. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so we can play merry hell with the truth, yes. Yes. Um, So it just sounds to me like the plants that are in there were were really the wrong plants in the first place. They probably looked cute when they were little. That's ridiculous. So, yeah, I'd move over to some tiny plants. uh, Maybe even some of the tiny little peperomias. Yeah, I was just going to say peperomia would be a good one. Okay. So there's a whole range of wee little things you could put in there. Or you could go in a completely different direction and put miniature little cacti in there. There, as long as you keep the water level down really low because I've grown cacti in terrariums before and it works quite well uh, as long as you don't overwater them and some of the little tiny little barrel cacti and things can look quite cute but don't mix them with the baby's tears and the salaginellas because no, they need no, water no 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 I, I get 
Mm. One question, with the um, freckle paint, if I take it out and put it in a pot, is it going to be needing to be inside or outside? Or In Melbourne, it would probably survive winter but not look all that crash hot after a cold yeah. winter. Up yeah. where I am, it would definitely be an indoor plant. Um, right. So it is a borderline thing. Some people will tell you it grows quite well in Melbourne gardens, but if you've got a very sheltered site for it, it might be all right. I yeah. personally think it would probably be better in a pot indoors or in a very sheltered warm but not too sunny veranda or something like that. Okay. This is all very well, but you don't always have the spot for these things. You don't, but you now have the plant, so you've got to adapt the spot, I think. Yes, that's <laughs> you know, right. Or well, otherwise it, kill it. Yeah, well, it looked pretty thick last winter, but survived. Yeah. And, oh, the amazing thing is that I didn't know it had a little flower. Oh, yes, yes, they get a little sort of purpley-blue flower on yeah, it. Yeah, very pretty. It is, and I quite like the foliage. I mean, it's quite... It's fun. It's cute. Oh, it is. It's mm. very pretty. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. That's a pleasure. <laughs> Thanks, Joan. Bye-bye. Terrariums are back in fashion in a big way now. Oh, are they? Yeah, so everybody's right. having them. I remember oh. them back in the 60s. They were really popular, but yeah. now they've come back again. Yeah. So everything old is new again. Yes, all right. We should go straight to Janet in East Malvern. Oops. We seem to be getting a boop, boop noise. Hello? I, ah. I can't tell if I'm... Hello? Is, or not. is that Janet? Yes, it is. Hi, Janet. How are you? Well, thank you. Uh, I'm ringing in relation to the caller who was asking about a, a good basic text on botany. Ah, yes. I have a book called, it's written from the uh, point of view of identifying flowering plants. Uh, it's called Name That Flower. Oh, that's the one I was thinking of, yeah. By Ian Clark and Helen Lee, who are both Melbourne people, botanists, and Although it's from the point of view of identifying flowers, it's got 130 detailed line drawings. I'm just reading from the text at the back. And eight pages of coloured plates. This book contains a comprehensive chapter on floral structure and introductions to the arrangement of flowers on plants, reproduction, plant structure and function, and the way plants are grouped and named. And I just thought that it's... I think the line drawings are very good, and maybe that... Um, caller would find a useful reference. Yeah, sounds good. It was published by Melbourne University Press. Uh, the copy that I have was, it was published, first published in 1987. Mm. So it's prob- more than likely out of print, but it's one of those books that would probably show up. Um, you'd probably buy it through the internet from one of the oh, second-hand you, books. You, you see it in op shops copy. quite a lot. Yeah, you, I have a yeah. feeling that it might still be available, but You'd have to check that. Yeah. But to me, it, it's it's a very it's it names all the plant plants their structures. I can't, I can't think that you would if you're starting out. You probably wouldn't need a lot more at this stage. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for that. I think that's a really good hint. Yes. Yeah, so name that flower. It's the and then a smaller heading: the identification of flowering plants by Ian Clark and Helen Lee L E. Good. Wonderful. Thank, Thank you, you so much for that, Janet. Okay. Okay, bye for now. Bye. As long as it's not by Brian Doyle as well. <laughs> <laughs> that was a bit esoteric, but it there was. you go. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's I go. I just thought of Clark and Doyle then, you know, I can't help myself. Alison and Bo Morris. Good morning, Alison. Hello. You there, Alison? You Hi. there, Alison? We're having trouble pulling people through. What's going on? No, Alison doesn't seem to be there. 
Whoops. Oh, well, we're giving people lots of beepy noises this morning, but there you go. Okay, we are running through until 9.15. If someone wants to jump on the the phones and give us a quick call, we would like to hear from you, 94190155. That's 94190155. James, we've been sort of in a bit of chaos this morning (laughs) in the studio. We haven't heard much about what you've been doing recently. I know... And we know, know you haven't pulled down your shed, but yes, apart from that, that, it's well, coming up. Ask, it is actually, coming up. <laughs> there has been a skip booked for the Easter weekend. Oh, oh here we go. It's all happening. Happen. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So preparations are kind of panically going along at the moment for that. Just trying to. There's a lot of there's a lot of lagging and stuff in the inside of the shed that previous owners have put up. That's got to come down, and there's you know not to mention the amount of detritus in the shed. It's our old possessions yeah. that we have to get rid of in the next week. <laughs> so, but um, there's nothing like getting a project done, you know, booking a skip really tends to uh, help it along. Well, that will. It will get you moving. Yes, so it's really going to happen. Fantastic. <laughs> but, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to it. Um, I've, I've realised that I've just got to kind of frantically come up with a, come up with a bit of a new design for the backyard as well because um, once, once we get rid of the workshop part of the shed, um, it's going to let a lot more light in and I really want to maximise the space um, that I've got because I don't have much of it. Um, so I'm sitting thinking and dissecting ideas and seeing what I can come up with and frantically doing little sketches. and Yeah, but it's good. It's, it's going to be good. I'm, I'm looking forward to the next few months as a consequence. And, of course, the soil that's, that's been there underneath the shed is going to be very depleted, very that's dry, right. yeah, so that'll right. need a bit of attention. I'm not actually going to pull up the slab that, that oh, the workshop is on. Oh, it's on a slab. On. Okay. Yeah, it's on a, it's on a concrete slab, so I'm just going to actually build uh, raised beds on top of the slab, which is, which is perfectly okay. Oh, great idea. Know? Yeah, yep. so, to, so to save a bit of the heavy work, um, I'm just going to get a concrete cutter and cut a couple of little couple of little squares out the back to um, to plant something that I'm going to uh, to uh, uh, pleach. I'm not, I'm not sure what yet. I've just got to sit down and there's all these decisions to be made and oh, not dear. enough time to make them. So, <laughs> yeah, so. Well, it's sort of part of the fun of gardening. Uh, you know, you, you make mistakes and regret them at leisure. Yeah, that's, right. that's right. So I look forward to several years of regret from now on. <laughs> All right, we're going to try and uh, speak with Alison and Bo Morris again. Good morning, Alison. Uh, good morning. I left a question off here. It was just uh, which abutilons might do best in a certain amount of shade? Most abutilons will cope, cope with quite a bit of shade. Um, and if I were going to plant one in the shade, dare I say, I'd suggest one of the variegated ones again. Yes. <laughs> Uh, there are two variegated abutilons out there, very old cultivars that used to be used a lot in tropical bedding back in Victorian times in England. Mm. One is called Souvenir de Bon, which has silver edges around the leaves, but the silver edge is almost wider than the green centre, so you've got this very silvery white foliage, yes. and it grows up to about a metre and a half yes. and has apricot orange trumpets or flowers on it. Mm. And the other one is one called... Pictum uh, Thompsoni, and it has yellow spots all over the leaves. And normally, the yellow is strong, is is more in evidence than the green. So you've got these sort of yellow spotty leaves, and it also gets orangey, trumpety flowers, and it grows to about two to two and a half meters. But keeping in mind that all abutilins grown in the shade will need a lot of nipping and tucking to keep them compact. Yes, uh, could you give me some spelling of those? Souvenir de de Bon. Uh, which is B-O-N-N. Oh, yes, yes. Souvenir de Bon. Yes. And the other one is Pictum, P-I-C-T-U-M, 
Thompson-I, T-H-O-M-S-O-N-I. Good. Thank you very much. I think um, a butylon megapotanicum is another one that yeah. sort of do pretty well. And there's also a variegated form of that. that yes, um, the which na- is called variegatum. The, the, <laughs> national, the National Trust sell it through, mm. um, through gardens like Ripon Lee and uh, Coburn yeah, House. Tell me that one again. Um, a butylon megapotanicum. Megapotanicum. M-E-G-A. Mm. P-O-T-A-N-I-C-U-M. Right, fine. Yeah, so that one's a more sprawly sort of plant. In mm. fact, I tend to use it more as an espaliered plant yeah. than, oh. than actually as a shrub. Rambler, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it rambles, and so it's really good through a wire fence or something like that. So it lives up to its mega name, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, it can. Uh, I've got it up through a cyclone fence, so it's grown up to about the two-metre mark yeah, quite easily. And, uh, and of course, the honey-eating birds just love oh. abutilans. Mm. And mm. megapotamicum is a lovely sort of entree plant for them with its mm. nice, cute little flowers. It's a beautiful so, plant. Yeah, lovely thing. So there you go. There's a few abutilans that will do it well for you. Good. Thank you very much. Good on. Thanks, Alison. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, and let's go uh, straight to Louis and Q. Good morning, Louis. Good morning, everybody. How are you today? Good. Excellent. Uh, what is the best gardenia fertiliser in mid-March with insects underleaf after applying blood and bone with trace elements during the grand final, please? <laughs> <laughs> You're making gardening sound awfully complicated, Louis. I'm growing gardenias in Melbourne and Tasmania. I yes. need to be complicated. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. I don't believe in individual fertilisers for individual plants. I believe in improving the soil you've got with a range of different fertilisers because I think that plants are like we are and they don't want one meal every time that's the same. So I would be using a mixture of materials. I might use one of the liquid fish feeds once, the Charlie Carp type. Mm products. I might use some blood and bone with added trace elements the next time. I might use a little cow manure the following time. I mean, there's a whole range of different fertilizers you can use. And although it's not scientifically based, my attitude is the wider diversity of nutrients you put in via different types of fertilizers, the more balanced your soil will be and the better your plants do. That's good advice. And that's the way I look at most gardening exercises. I mean, gardenias can have some problems of their own that you have to deal with, um, and particularly seeing as they're being pushed to their their ecological limits, growing them down in Melbourne and further south. Um, but nonetheless, their feeding regime shouldn't be that much different to everything else. Very good. I'll try something different for Matt. Yeah, give, give them a, a night out on something <laughs> else, you know, so... Mexican or Thai food or something, I don't know. Uh, we all like that, so they would. Certainly, I'll try that. Thank you very much and happy Easter. Thank, Thank you. you. You're welcome. Yes, that blast of Easter, it's really creeping up on us, isn't it? It is, it certainly is. Yes. All right, and we've got uh, Jill from the Herb Society. Good morning, Jill. Hi, Pam. Hi, Penny. Um, I've got a small display as part of the Royal Horticultural Society display upstairs on the Nicholson Street side, herbs, and uh, one of the most unusual would be uh, zinnia, which has been grown in space, orange flowered, the petals are edible, and I've got a pink zinnia, and one of the children went go passing by said, is that the one that was grown in space? Don't you love it? Anyway, the other, other thing I want to ask Stephen, when do I cut the honey locust? Is it now? It's looking disgusting. I think the time to cut the honey locust is when you've got the time to cut the honey locust, personally. I don't think it matters much. And if it's looking scruffy and miserable now, I guess there's no real reason why you couldn't cut it. I mean, the sap's slowing down. Things aren't likely to bleed at this time of the year. So from now on in, I guess, uh, yeah, why not? If it needs a prune, give it one. Okay. And 
the other thing I'll just tell, there's some lovely botanical paintings, pastels and so on upstairs, you know, things like a rugosa, a group of rugosa hips and the, about nine different fern tips and things like that, which, you know, are not the usual, you know, mm. big rose or big camellia bush or something. Yeah, actually, but it's interesting you're mentioning all the upstairs because a lot of people don't notice it's there. They don't realise, yeah. yeah. And there is a lot of stuff in that upstairs sort of uh, mezzanine area in the exhibition buildings uh, that people should go to the effort to go and have a look at. Uh, and, and you're right, the botanic artists... orchids yeah. on the Royal Horticultural on the Nicholson Street side. Yeah, so, yes, don't forget to go up there if you're in there today. Yeah, okay, thanks. Good That's okay, a pleasure. Well, thank you. All and, right. uh, yes, sorry, we'll go to Laurie in Kyneton. Good morning, Laurie. Good morning, just a quick one. I've replanted rhubarb. It was in one place for years. I've fed it. It's done well, clumped up. I even snuck a few stalks. Oops, we lost him. Are you still there? Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. You, you dropped out for a second. Sorry, uh, the rhubarb keeps going to flower. Do I cut them off or do I leave it and wreck the plant or what? No, just keep you cutting cut them, them off. off. That's all I needed. Thank you very much. Okay, yeah. nice and easy. Yes. Bye now. Yes, cut them off and don't eat them. Um, yes, rhubarb's one of those plants that, yeah. You can't overfeed it. You can't overwater it as long as the soil's well drained. Uh, and uh, regular lifting and dividing is mm. not a bad idea. Mm. And I do love a good rhubarb. Yes, oh. I've been ignoring mine for years, and it still just keeps giving. Yes, <laughs> yes. yes. Some <laughs> plants grateful. will give despite you. <laughs> so yeah, rhubarb is one of those old staples, and there's nothing like fresh rhubarb put on your cereal in the morning or whatever, mm. or some nice rhubarb and orange crumble for the evening meal. So it's good stuff. Which also reminds me, and I know uh, it, it actually was shown on Gardening Australia the other night, but um, if people have got their, their basil going to flower, um, you can try and prolong your basil until we get that first frost um, by cutting off all those flower spikes. Give it a good haircut and you might get a few more weeks out of it to go with your tomatoes, which I'm still harvesting. Yes, well, yeah. <laughs> and they the will plants finish. have died, haven't they? My plants are, you know, completely yellow and look like they're really dead and yet the tomatoes are still there and still ripening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the way they go. Yes, mine's still getting, mine are getting a bit scruffy looking now, but yeah, there's still tomatoes ripening on them. So yeah, that's yeah right. it's amazing. It really mm. is, yeah. Okay, we have just about run out of time for yet another week. Um, next week and next Sunday being Easter Sunday, um, I actually won't be here. You will be in the very capable hands of A.B. Bishop, so thanks, A.B. I'll be manning the place. So yeah. You will be well, manning hopefully the place. The, hopefully the Easter Bunny can find you, A.B. Oh, yes, I'm expecting <laughs> lots of chocolate to be waiting here on the desk. Yeah. Well, it mightn't be the bunny, but there'll be plenty of kangaroos out there. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh there, was, there were hundreds. This morning, I was coming in at 15k an hour the whole way, just yeah. Yeah, yes. into Warrandyte. They were just everywhere. Well, it's been so dry, they've been coming out to try and find water or growth, you know, yeah. near the roadsides, yes, road wherever they can. Yeah. yeah, so you do have to be very careful at the moment. But uh, uh, is that a message up there just quickly before we wind up? Oh, it looks like uh, Roger Elliott said that Ian Clark has another book out, um, Name Those Grasses. So, oh, okay. Um, there yeah, you go. Like, yeah, another one to get your hands on if you're yes in, into botany and, and and wanting to learn all about those kinds of things. Excellent. Well, a big thank you to all the team and to Jan, who's been working amazingly hard uh, putting all the calls through to air. Um, as I say, you've been listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. Uh, the show will be back next Sunday, 7:30. Until then, bye for now.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.